Hello, all my beautiful people. It is time once again for another amazing episode of If You Give a Data Podcast. So this week I have with me a very special guest to me. It is actually my beginning and seventh grade band director, George Pekorski. He is on here today to talk with me about his career and tell some really cool stories about uh, what all he's done over the years when it comes to music. This is a very French horn and band centric episode and I am very excited to have this one. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I hope that there's a lot of people that tune in for this one because this is one that I've really been looking forward to doing. And for those of you who are here just to listen to the George Bikorski episode, welcome. I hope that you enjoy what you hear and I hope that you stick around and listen to some of the other great episodes I have here as well. So if you're as excited as I am, then let's get the show on the road. If you give a dad a podcast. Hey, Dad. So where did you actually train at? I made a really good career out of being able to bump, sell, and I had a punch me face. I wasn't about to call you Dad, so. <laughs> Seriously? I felt like I was in an anime or something. People get really mad at those videos for some reason. Like, it triggers really? certain people. Yeah. Bloop. Wow. I was actually lost as an infant, and I was taken in by a traveling group of independent wrestlers. <laughs> I love it. I'm excited for this one. Bro! Get punched in the face on the daily. Do you always do these interviews with your shirt off? <laughs> what? Man, this guy won't shut up. All right, everybody. So today I have somebody with me that I'm very excited for you guys to hear. Uh, it is my beginning band director. He is a man that's played a very important role in the music that I listen to today and my appreciation for all types of music. He was my beginning band director, like I said before. He also played for the Memphis Symphony Orchestra, and he was part of the Central States Judges Association. And the man that I'm talking about is Mr. George Pekorski. George, how are you doing today? I'm great, Jared. How are you tonight? Doing good. You know, kind of running around like a chicken with my head cut off here at the last minute. I was a few minutes late for our little recording here, but I'm doing good now. Well, that's the beauty of retirement. Uh, late doesn't mean that much to me now. It's, it's a <laughs> lot of fun, you know, so, uh, so it was like, take your time, dude. So uh, good to hear from you. Looking forward to this uh, little session. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's one that I've been looking forward to for quite a while. I knew as soon as I started doing this that eventually I did want to bring you on to the show because like I said, uh, you played a big part in uh, my appreciation for music. And uh, my parents are also ones who have really been looking forward to this. Um, they've always spoke very highly of you. So whenever I told them that I was going to have you on, they're like, Oh, you have to make sure and tell me when it's going to be out. So they're uh, definitely looking forward <laughs> to this as well. Well, if you don't mind saying so they raised a fine son. So, uh, <laughs> I hope they enjoy the podcast too. So. Awesome. Yeah. They, uh, they, uh, they listen uh, pretty often and everything like that, but whenever I have certain guests on, they get pretty excited and this is definitely one of them. Uh -huh. yeah. So we're kind of just going to jump right into things on this. Um, how did you actually decide to get into becoming a band director? Okay. Well, um, I grew up uh, in North Memphis uh -huh. And my mom and dad were, uh, church and God were extremely 
important in our life. And uh, actually, sometimes I could kick myself for not making him as important as I probably should have. As I got older, you know, I found that uh, reaching out to God and, and being more proactive with what every everything that he has to offer, uh, that was a, that was pretty important mm-hmm. to myself, mm-hmm. to my wife, and, and to my children. I know I'm fast forwarding a little bit here, but when I was in like the fourth grade, I realized hmm, I haven't really given much thought as to what I might want to do eventually. And um, I think my mom recognized I had a musical talent of some sort, and uh, I I took piano lessons, and like so many young people who take piano lessons, they end up stopping the piano lessons uh, because they don't want to practice. Right. But um, that's what happened to me. I stopped them in in the uh, probably the end of the fifth grade, and then I went through the sixth grade, and then it was time for junior high. Mm-hmm. And my mom said to me, he said, uh, you're going to be in the band program over at Snowden Junior High. That's where I went to junior high school. And I remember walking into the band room, and I've got to admit, the first two weeks, maybe two weeks in, a, in three or four days, I mean, I remember it vividly. I knew my parents didn't have a lot of money. Right. And I wasn't sure what I was going to play. Yeah. My mom was under the assumption that they were just going to give her, give me an instrument, just yeah. uh, give me, a, give me an instrument. And as it worked out, um, I was scared to say anything to her about purchasing me one. I was scared to say anything to the band director. And I finally went to the band director in tears and said, I don't have a horn and I don't know what to do. And, he was very consoling and said, well, why don't you consider playing French horn? And mm-hmm. uh, I don't even know what a French horn was. He's, but he knew that it was an instrument that was provided by the school. He also knew that, uh, that perhaps money might have been an issue. And at, at that time, I was willing to do anything. Mm-hmm. He even told my mother later on that he had picked up on the fact that I had a real good musical ear. And the French horn would be um, uh, a, a good fit for me. And for your listeners, uh, Jerry, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, since you yes, were I in do. my band program, I didn't put just anybody on French horn. They no. had to exhibit certain mm-hmm. qualities to be a horn player, right. uh, to, to be a French horn player. So anyway, I became a French horn player and fast forward another month or so. We got, I got so into it. It didn't take very long for me to figure out this is something I can do. Mm-hmm. I, I, I watched my band director, Mr. Gaston Taylor. I watched him direct. I watched, listened to the way he talked to us. I, I said, I think I can do this. Now, obviously, it's a lot more than waving a stick. We, right. we know yeah. <laughs> there's a lot more to it than that. Yes. But at least now I had a path. Mm-hmm. I had a path on something that I knew I had an interest in and perhaps something that could be a lot that would be my livelihood. So that's how I got involved in, in wanting to be a band director. Uh, I, I got into beginning band. I loved what was going on. And I said, I think I can do this. So that's pretty much how uh, that path ended up taking place. It, it's funny because that's actually 
very similar to the story that I had whenever I joined band. Um, so, you know, I, I was very excited about it. Took the test in fifth grade to, cause I believe they gave a test to see who would be a good fit for being in band. And I think it was like a mm-hmm. one to four star on this test that you would take. And they did it on the TV and we just wrote down our answers and stuff like that. Then the next year band comes around and uh, you start and we did the thing where you come and talk about the different instruments that you can play. It's kind of like a fitting, I guess you could say. And correct. You know, I had the same issue, you know, I instruments are not cheap and I did not have one to play. And I was ready to, uh, I actually came in for that day where we were supposed to say, this is what I want to play. And I told you, and I believe it was Mr. Lloyd who was there as well. Um, I told you both that I think I'm going to have to drop band. And uh, you guys pulled me aside and asked, you know, why, what's going on and things like that. And uh, I said, I just don't think I'm going to be able to do this. I, you know, can't afford it kind of deal. And you guys took me into your office, which was at the back of the room and had me try out for the French horn. And I was able to play that. And it, like I said, your story is very similar to what mine was. And so that's really cool to hear that. We did parallel, didn't we? We did. And and I hated, I hated to have to go home and tell my parents, you're going to have to come up with two or $300 so I can have an instrument. Right. Because money was, money was not easy to come by, you know? And I just, I didn't want to inconvenience them, but also I didn't want to go to the class any longer and just sit there while my friends or playing their instruments. So it's kind of funny how you and I paralleled on that, uh, Jared, and, and glad it worked out to where the French horn was part of our life. It, it really helped. And, you know, and for your listeners, I don't let just anybody play French horn. Right. If you had not d- demonstrated French horn skills, I would have put you on either baritone or tuba. It's just that simple. I would have put you on baritone or tuba <laughs> because you have to, you, you have to have a simple, you have to have, a certain ear and you have to have, excuse me, a, a quality ear and you have to be able to match pitches and et cetera. So, uh, you picked one of the beast and we helped you pick a beast. So <laughs> they worked out pretty good. Well, the, the cool thing is, is, you know, when it comes to French horn and everything, I'll be honest, I would, I've looked over the years at maybe getting one again, just so I can have to play at home because I love sure playing I, I i now own a trumpet somebody gave it to uh, my mom and passed it along to me i own a saxophone now and in fact whenever i tried out for band to begin with i wanted to play the saxophone because i thought that was just the coolest thing ever but you know that was probably one of the more expensive ones uh, to to get there's a lot more uh for sure yeah a lot for more sure. metal there was the yeah mm-hmm. so yeah i i wanted to you know uh, play that but then i started playing the french horn and even now I've looked at them because, you know, it music is a, almost a release uh, in in my case, you know, it's a way for me to express myself in a way to release stress, you know, so music has always been a big part of your life. Yeah. And, and, you know, and also I'm aware that I believe you went to, um, uh, I believe you went to the Pentecostal church, if I'm not mistaken. And I, Mm -hmm. I know that, um, if I'm not mistaken, but I think uh, like instrumental music 
uh, not just a piano and an organ. I think uh, that there are certain types of instrumental music that take place in that particular denomination. I, 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 you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm right on that. Uh, you're you're 100% right. They they'll bring just about anything in there to uh, have music with. I've seen I've seen uh, banjos. I've seen mandolins. I've seen uh, trumpets. I've seen just about anything you can think of. I've seen it in a Pentecostal church. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where did you go to college at to uh, get your your degree and stuff? Because I know doing band and things like that, you know, you have to get a degree to be able to go and teach. So where did you go to school at? Well, I went to, uh, back then it was called Memphis State, and mm-hmm. I call it University of Memphis. I mean, like everybody else now, I call it University of Memphis because that's what they changed their name to, and I'm glad they did. Yeah. Because I always thought Memphis State sounded kind of pretty. They changed, <laughs> changed the University of Memphis. But but I was a I was sort of a, a homebody. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my friends were talking about going to the uh, University of Tennessee or or Arkansas, or perhaps a Christian college somewhere away, but it was never any doubt in my mind because that I was going to go to Memphis State mm-hmm. because I used to go to the football games with my dad, and I would look across the way or down the way, and I would see the Memphis State band, and as much as I love football, I was watching that band quite often. I looked forward to the halftime shows, and I said, one of these days, I'm going to be in that organization. And uh, I spent four years in the marching band. So, yes, I graduated, graduated from Memphis State, uh, felt very uh, I, I was just elated that I had two outstanding French horns instructor, the late Richard Neely. He um, he ended up moving to Vancouver and he passed away about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And my other French horn instructor, instructor Richard Dolph who is living in Colorado and unfortunately is not in real good health right now. He and I stay in, he and I stay in, in touch. Mm-hmm. So uh, not only was Memphis state a good place for me to become, learn how to be, be a band director, it was a good place for me to get more accomplished on my, on the French horn. And, uh, I was really blessed. I didn't, I didn't have to set foot out of the city. I had exactly what I needed at, at, at uh, university of Memphis. That's awesome. It, going back to one thing uh, that we were talking about a second ago, my, sorry, whenever I do this, my mind goes all over the place. I keep a notepad in front of me because I'll forget things and I have to write it down. But going back to one thing, when you said that um, you have to have an, an ear for music for playing the French horn, a French horn for people who don't really know what that is, that's listening to this, it, it you can change the pitch just by how much you move your hand because you actually fit your hand into the bell of the instrument. So you can change a complete pitch. Say, say you're uh, a little flat. Well, you can just change the way your hand is in that bell and change the whole pitch of it. So it is a very precise instrument and uh, the mouthpiece is super small too. Oh, it has lots, <laughs> it has lots of demands yes. very much, you know, you know, Jared, um, uh, even now, okay, so now I'm on the wrong side of 70, and I'm getting closer to being on the wrong side of 75, not yet. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I get phone calls about, uh, you know, since I'm retired, about going in and working uh, either French horn sectionals or working a band 
Mm-hmm. And um, this past Saturday, I had an opportunity. I got a call from the school, uh, Collierville, Collierville uh, High School called me and said, can you come and try out our French horns? Meaning that as the kids, uh, every place does it different, but the children, the, the potential band members walk into the halls they walked down the hall and there would be like a trumpet specialist or there would be a flute specialist or there'd be a clarinet specialist. I was supposed to be the French horn specialist, but I couldn't do it because my grandson had a basketball game and, uh, and I needed to be at that basketball game. But I've done that quite often for, for schools around here. I've done that quite often. And I have a very stringent streamlined French horn test. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, I mean, I give them an ear test. I have them, uh, I, I won't go into how I do it, but it's a very meticulous system for me to be able to figure out is the person standing in front of me, do or do they have or do they not have French horn ability? And it doesn't take long. I mean, sometimes it takes me 10 seconds to figure out they need to channel their interest in another instrument. But right. that's uh, that, you're exactly right about the French horn being a special, a specialized horn, mm-hmm. and um, and it is not for somebody. I'll go ahead and tell you, it's not for somebody who gets discouraged real quick. Right. Mistakes are going to happen if you're a French horn player. There's going to be wrong notes. If right. you're the type of student who feels like I, 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 I can't do this then if, if there are about things, if, if quitting is part of their livelihood, then they should never be a French horn player. So right. I just thought I'd throw that in. Right. I remember my, uh, my beginning brand French horn section. There was a, a guy named Blake and there was a girl named Danielle and they were in my class. There was three of us. And cause I think you had two beginning uh, band classes and, uh, so it was us three in that one. And the other one, I believe it was a girl named Kristen and another one named Brittany were the French horn players in that one as well. Uh-huh. And I remember it was, it was always a competition. I, the one thing I remember is Kristen was always one that was, I, we, me and her competed a lot whenever we were playing and uh, I, I'm still friends with her, with her to this day. And it's because of band that I was able to become friends with her. And that's one thing I've always loved about, that is there's a camaraderie among people. I mean, uh, just the other day I had a friend post about now her son is going to be playing in band. And I was able to tell him that, you know, my son's going to be playing in band soon. And so, you know, it's really nice to, uh, to, to still be able to contact these people and still talk with them about beginning band. But it was cool because there was competition between all of us. You know, we were all competing for that, first that first chair spot you know we would have you know uh i don't remember how often it was but i mean we would have them quite often you know to where well this one's going to be in first uh first chair because they know the music better you know and so and it wasn't something to where we felt bad you're you're trying to say you're trying to say chair trials chair tryouts yes go ahead and uh you know it wasn't something that at the end you felt bad it was something to where it deter- it would build up a determination to where you would want to do better. I, you probably don't remember, but I used to look at every section and I would say now those of you who got first chair or second chair today, you know, sometimes second chair wasn't satisfactory. 
first chair right. was the only thing that was important. Sometimes you get second chair and you were so excited because you've never been that high before. But right. I used to say to you guys, I always congratulate the rest of the members of your section, but right. don't get too comfortable in that chair because we're going to have tryouts again in another yep. week. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what it was about. So. Yes. Uh, and I, I mean, it, it's all good memories like that. You know, uh, beginning band was a lot of fun. And so kind of leading into that, what made you to de- decide to do beginning band? Well, you're saying beginning band, even at the very, at the beginning of your, uh, excuse me, and your in, in your introduction, yes, you said I was your beginning band director. Yes. Well, I wasn't only your beginning band director, I was your second year band director also. You uh, were, the intermediate yes. band, the seventh That's grade, right. yes. the seventh grade band. Um, to me, um, I was... My first two years of teaching were in Savannah, Tennessee, in Indianola, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. that, that was like getting my feet wet. And then my third year, um, West uh, East Junior High School in West Memphis became open. And I thought, well, I've already told you once, I'm a mama's boy. Well, West Memphis East Junior High was about um, a 10 or 15 minute drive from my, from my mom and dad's house. <laughs> now, keep in mind, I'm married now, you know, but, but uh-huh. still, uh, my, my parents were very, I was very close to my parents and it worked out, especially if I was going to be back in West Memphis, Arkansas, I had the opportunity to audition for the Memphis Symphony, which I was very fortunate to be able to land the position with them and stayed uh, stayed with, for 35 years with the oh. Memphis Symphony. And Jared, I'll go ahead and tell you right now, it, it was always difficult. You can't just be a member of the Memphis Symphony. Mm-hmm. Once you do finish your band directing gig, you have to go home, eat dinner, and then get your horn out and practice so you will be ready for the next symphony concert. My wife was very, my wife and, and my, my kids were very understanding. They knew that I had this extra love of playing my horn, yeah. and they gave me that opportunity, and they were very patient with me. Sometimes I could kick myself a little bit because maybe I should have put priorities where they were supposed to be. But uh, to be quite honest here, my three kids came out really, really good. All three of them are educators. Two of them are music educators. Oh, wow. And, um, it, you know, my wife was just an absolute sweetheart for, for taking the reins and, uh, and doing, let's say, raising them and giving me the opportunity to do things that were not only important to me, but let's face it, they were also financially important, too. And then yes. the Memphis Symphony doesn't just get volunteers. They get people who know. <laughs> They have a certain skill level, and we get compensated for what we do. But um, I don't remember your original question. I strayed, and I, I, <laughs> do, do, do you do do you remember what the original question was? Oh, why did I become a beginning band director? Yes, yes. If I, if I was a house, if I was a high school band director, I knew that marching band would take up way too much time. I got so you. being a junior high, a middle school, a beginning, a, a beginning slash junior high band director gave me that opportunity to teach and feed the students to a high school program 
and still be able to play my French horn. So right. no, high school right. band directing was not important to me. Uh, even though I was a high school band director for six years, mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't mm-hmm. wait to get back to uh, the middle school, junior high uh, sort of uh, scenario. Right. So for me, I, I believe that concert season was always my favorite. I, I know a lot of people they love the marching season because they got to do the traveling and things like that. And there was the summer before, you know, before school would start, you'd have the summer, we'd go out there and you'd practice and hang out with all of your band friends and everything like that. But there was something about mm-hmm. the, the concert side for me. It just, I don't, I don't know how to actually put it into words, but it was my favorite time. I enjoyed marching season, but concert season was my favorite. Well, yeah, there's a lot of, there would be all kinds of band members out there, present and past band directors, who would express the exact same sentiment you just expressed. And there's all kinds of band members who would say, would tell you right now, oh, I hated concert season. Oh, I sure <laughs> did love moving around on the marching field and, uh, and, and the trip we took and winning contests or yep. placing in contests. Well, that's uh, more power to them. You know, oh, yeah. whatever floats your boat, go for it, you know. But uh, to me, you don't, you develop your marching band by having a good concert band. As you, If you're in band from the sixth grade through the 12th grade, mm-hmm. if you don't develop those playing skills primarily in the second semester, well, your marching band is not going to be uh, as polished and as listenable to, for lack of, <laughs> lack of a better way, to describe it, they're not going to be as listenable to if your if your kids are not playing with a certain level of artistry and proficiency. So you're right, concert band is where it's at, and that's that's one of the reasons I I, I loved doing beginning band. And then you guys, man, you rocked. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to kid. We always played, Jared. We always played really, really difficult music, much mm-hmm. more difficult than we had to, right. because I wanted you guys to be challenged. So. Well, I mean, we even, uh, we went to like the solo and ensemble competitions that they had there and uh, all region even, you know, I mean, we did plenty of these competitions that, you know, I remember hearing, you know, there was ones that, because Marion wasn't the only place that I was in band. I actually moved middle of my junior year to uh, Northwest Arkansas and I went to Gravit High School. And you would hear band directors say, well, you know, we're not going to do that because we're, we're working on fundamentals. And one thing I remember hearing you say, this is how you work on fundamentals is by going and doing these things. And that always stuck with me. But I loved those, the competitions that they would do during concert season. Oh, yeah. I think. You know, I'll give you a little, I'll tell you something uh, that bothered me about when I was a band director and I would talk shop with other band directors. Mm-hmm. A lot of the band directors I talked shop with would say, um, I'm requiring all of my students to go to all region tryouts. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm telling you right now, that's never a good idea. Right. Because if you're requiring every one of them, you're putting pressure on them. There are certain students who you are setting up for failure if you require them to go. So, well, no, that, that the, all they have to do is go and try out, and, and, and then that way you get to say you'll do better next year. 
Well, yeah. if they're not putting in the effort and they can't go into that room and play it, it even hardly, if, it, if it's like sight reading the music, that's right. not self-esteem building. Right. That's a letdown. Yes. Now, I'll tell you a little secret right now. I always told you guys, I think you need to be going to these all-region trials. Most mm-hmm. of you need to be going to these all-region trials. Right. And I always dictated who would go to all-region trials, but the only <laughs> I did it making you guys think that you made the decision. I was able to word it to where you made the decision as to whether you went to all region tryouts or not. And once you went, you know, uh, I, I don't know if you remember, but we had an awful lot of students making all region. We did. And, yes. uh, and when we had that many students making all region and the tryouts always took place at the beginning of December, well, once January got there, your skills Everyone who went out for all region, your skills on some really, really difficult music made it so much easier for us to play the concert music in the second semester before we went to concert festival. Yeah. So everything just kind of kind of dominoed. Everything worked where the dominoes fell into place and the band got better and better. And then by the time we got to the spring concert, the spring concert was always uh, done with with a pops orientation in mind. You know how how the parents love pops music, you know. Yeah. And we would do a lot of yeah. We would do some show tunes, and we we would do some um, some popular tunes. You know, something like if it had been Hannah Montana or something. <laughs> time, we would do one of her songs. You know. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, you're you're bringing just talking to you. It's bringing back an awful lot of memories. And it's, it, uh, I, I really, it was very much a part of my life. And, uh, and I was just so excited over the level of achievement you guys did from year to year. Right. And since your listeners are out there, um, I took Jared one time over the summer, there was a thing over the summer where I needed some French horn players because I did a French horn clinic at Amro music company. Mm-hmm. And I took three of my best French horn players, uh, Jared, I don't remember who the other two were. I would imagine one of the, one was the young lady you just mentioned just a second ago, uh-huh. but I took three of my French horn players and I told the band directors who showed up at this clinic, this is the best way to teach beginning French horn players. But I didn't want to just stand up and tell these band directors who came to this clinic that take my word for it. I wanted the proof is in the pudding. Right. How do you, how do you determine whether, whether my system works or not? Well, I brought three French horn players and they just got finished for their first year. And we knocked out a couple of trios and, uh, <laughs> and, and all the, you know, all the, all the band directors and attendants are sitting there smiling and shaking their heads saying, well, something's working, you know? So, uh, I yeah. was real proud of you and those other two horn players who showed up that and because you didn't have to do it. It was, uh, around the first of August and school hadn't even started yet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely do remember that it was, uh, in a way, you know, uh, I mean, I was proud to be able to do something like that, but at the same time, it's very nerve wracking. The thing that for me, going back to uh, doing um, competitions and things like that, the one thing that I had the hardest time with, and I'm sure this is 
just about anybody who can say they had a hard time with this, and that's sight reading. Mm-hmm. Man, I tell me about it. <laughs> I always thought that that was just torture trying to do sight reading on music. So, um, but we did do other, like you said, we did different uh, trios and things like that. And uh, I loved doing that. Um, just the the way that you could hear the, the the different parts coming in with it. It was it was amazing. We always, of course, I, uh, I, I'm assuming you probably remember. Soul Ensemble was huge for us. Mm-hmm. We we never just said, okay, we once again, I made you guys understand that um, you need to go to Soul Ensemble. And I've got this French horn trio here, or I've got th- this for the clarinets or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And uh, things just always seem to fall into place. I don't ever remember necessarily just telling somebody they were going to go. I tried to emphasize <laughs> to you guys how important these things were. Yes. And then hopefully you decided on your own, this is something I need to be doing. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I was sneaky, but it paid off if, if you understand what I'm saying. For sure. For sure. So there was such a big difference. I'm not speaking ill of anybody whenever I say this, but there was such a huge, vast difference that I did want to talk to you about between when I went to Marion with the band and when I went to the other high school that I went to with Dan. Um, Two stories that I wanted to relate to you. When I first got there, um, I joined band immediately. I was excited to kind of try to show off my my skills that I had playing the French horn at this new school. Edgar, are you talking about a Gravette? Yes. Yes. Uh, whenever okay. I, okay. when I moved I didn't there. know whether you were talking about Marion, uh, when you went to Marion high school or when you moved to Northwest Arkansas. No, when I moved to Northwest Arkansas, no, Marion Patriot pride band will always be one of the best bands that I've ever heard. In fact, because <laughs> I remember the football games, you would be up in the stands and you were the one that called Marion Patriot pride band. When I, and I, I had a lot of pride whenever I heard you say that. So this was a little different when I moved to the other school. There was three French horn players when I got there. They were all um, using a double. And none of them knew what the trigger was for on a double uh, French horn. That's such a pet peeve of mine. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I... I it kind of, I kind of locked up. It was kind of gridlock for me when that happened, you know, cause I'm sitting there the first day and they gave me my music and I'm looking at the first chair player and she's playing this music and I never see her tr- use the trigger once. And there's a few times where I see her doing some of the, the fingerings and stuff. And I'm like, that's not right. So I asked her about it and she was like, Oh, we never learned it, but it comes out. Okay. I guess. I, <laughs> I didn't know how to react to that. I was like, oh no. So I actually talked to the band director. I was like, is there any way that I can work with them after school sometime to kind of help them to get this going right? And he was very, you know, receptive to it. And he was like, yeah, that's great. They didn't have anybody who really taught. We didn't have a French horn player to teach them. So whenever, uh-huh. yeah. you know, it, so. <laughs> I didn't want to come across as, you know, this, this snooty guy that, Oh, I know how to play the French horn better than you, but you got to play it right. (laughs) (laughs) You're absolutely right. You could, uh, that has to be treated with kid gloves. 
Yeah. But if if, if the scenario works out, if the scenario, if, if it's a situation where you can get your your friends to buy into what you're doing, right. then uh, it it's a win win. It's yeah. a win win for those kids. You 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 know this better than I do. That trigger on that French horn makes that French horn two thousand dollars more <laughs> in value. <laughs> yes. So if they're not if they're not using it, they're wasting two thousand dollars is what they're doing. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I mean, it was, it was very, um, unorganized. There was a flute player who was like, Hey, they let me take a French horn home. I was like, really? She didn't even play the French horn. And they was like, yeah, take it home. Try to practice it. Maybe you can figure it out. I was, (laughs) I, I didn't know what to do. So, but one other thing that happened while I was there and this just comes from, I guess, me being, I was a little spoiled when it came to Marion Band because I was used to us getting ones when it came to competition. Uh-huh. And we went to competition for uh, um, concert season. And I was very happy with the music. You know, I, I thought the French horns were doing well. We were one of the last ones to perform. And we got twos. Uh, I think we got one three, in fact, and then the rest of them were twos. And everybody was so excited that we got twos. And I was just (laughs) upset the rest of the time. They're like, why are you so mad? I'm like, because we could have done better. And so, you know, after that, I was just like, I I don't know about this, you know, and I kind of lost faith in doing it for a little while. But and then I realized, you know, I, I, I came from somewhere where there was a lot more emphasis put on band than what there was at the school. So it, it really hurt whenever I went there because there was such a vast difference in the way that the band program was treated. I remember when I went to Marion, if you quit, you were not allowed to come back to band. And when I moved to Gravit, there were people that would quit a week. They'd come back two weeks later, they'd quit again and they'd come back for, you know, and I was just like, that, that's not right. Different band programs have certainly different standards and boy you were in a fine high school band program when you were at Marion I mean mm-hmm. Jim Lloyd really knew how to get a lot out of students in a short amount of time he and I both could have been he and I both were a little tough on you guys <laughs> and, and hopefully we weren't so tough that we just wanted to run you off or anything but we also had certain demands and, the, and we expected a lot out of our students. Right. So, uh, yeah, you were, in a, you, you were in a very, very, uh, and I can understand why you might go to a different, um, a different place and maybe have the same sort of expectations. I think that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Uh, now, like I said, the biggest thing for me was them being able to, they just kind of treated it like it was, you know, they could come and go as they please. And, uh, you know, there was that rule at Marion. If you quit band, you didn't come back. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that really bothered me because uh, the first chair that was there, I, I did a tryout almost right after I came there and, uh, not trying to put any feathers in my hat, but I won first, first chair within my first couple of weeks Uh of being there and she quit. And, uh, then I was like, okay. And then a few weeks later, she came back You know, I was like, wait, how, how are you back? I thought you quit. And they're like, yeah, I've done that before. I was like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, it, it, 
and that's like I said, that's just me being spoiled and being in some in a band that was, you know, they treated it with a lot more pride than that. So, sure, yeah. Well, uh, different what different strokes for different folks and different worlds, <laughs> even within the state of Arkansas. So, uh, oh, interesting, yeah. interesting story you just shared. Yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, we're going to kind of move on from that. Um, so I know that you also. Uh, have done some refereeing and stuff when it comes to uh, baseball. What made you get into doing that? Well, when I was, uh, when I was going through school and my friends were all talking about getting jobs, mm-hmm. let's face it, you know, when you're, uh, when you're 15 years old and you realize uh, mom and dad didn't have a large income source to, you know, just throw money at us. Um, I knew that I needed to get a job and, right. uh, a lot of my friends knew the same thing, Well, they were always all talking about certain sort of job opportunities, but Jared, I was a baseball, I was a sports nut. I absolutely <laughs> just, just baseball to me was the greatest thing, uh, in the world. There was mm-hmm. nothing as, as wonderful as especially baseball. I mean, I like basketball and I like football, but there was nothing as wonderful as baseball. And uh, I I knew when I got to be a senior in high school after playing little league ball in Memphis all those years that I was going to become, um, you know, like umpire the peewees and the juniors right. in the Memphis in the Memphis Park Commission system. Um, all I had to be, I, mean, I was 17 and these kids were like nine and 10. And I thought I can, I can do this. I used to watch the umpires. Uh, I learned the rule book. I, I learned I, that rule book. I hate to say it. I read the rule book more than I read my Bible and that's not good. You know, <laughs> it should be just the opposite, Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I knew, I knew that I knew that the rules really, I, I just, I, I guess you, you could say I was kind of like a human rule book when it came, when it came to baseball. And, um, I decided I was going to become an umpire and, uh, continued umpiring from 1967 all the way until 1971 and got pretty good at it and, and realized, okay, well, I've got an extra semester. And I said an extra semester, I had met my potential, I mean, potential, I had met my eventual uh, life partner, my wife, and I told her, I said, honey, I'm going down to umpire school in Florida. And I really wasn't going with the idea of being a uh, professional umpire. Mm-hmm. I went with the idea of, I want to learn how to do this better. I, I, I want the skills to become a really good local umpire. And actually I did pretty good at umpire school. I got a pretty nice rating. And, um, and they told me, they said, you could go to a low minor league if you want to. They said, we don't see you as a potential professional umpire. Okay. Uh, these, these umpires, our instructors were major league umpires. I got to pal around with major league umpires. Wow. And it, it was a wonderful experience. Just, just fantastic experience. I got to umpire a a St. Louis Cardinal intra-squad game. It was oh, the beginning cool. of spring training. Yeah, and I got to umpire behind the plate three innings of a St. Louis Cardinal 
intra-squad game. I remember the, the name of Julian Javier. Some, some of your listeners about my age, they'll hear the name of Julian Javier. I remember he came up to bat, and uh, that, there was a guy named – his last name was Thomas, and I can't remember his first name. But what an experience to be there at Outlying Field in St. Petersburg umpiring the St. Louis Cardinals in an inter-squad so cool. game, you know. Wow. So uh, it, was, it was a great experience. Fast forward. In 1982, I realized I can't do this any longer. You think about it. I'm an umpire. Excuse me. I'm a, I'm a band director. I'm a Mississippi member, and I'm an umpire. Something's got to go. Even right. though umpiring was in the summer, something had to go. Yeah. And uh, umpiring went, and it went for a long time. And uh, when I say went for a long time, I, I just decided that I haven't got the time to do this and, and uh, still be a, a good band director and still be a good French horn player. So, uh, Jared, when I retired, I went back to officiating again. Okay. But, um, band directors here in DeSoto County, Mississippi, started calling me and, and talking to me about coming in and working bands and working French horns. So the umpiring went by, uh, you know, I had to, uh, it, it had to go on the back burner again, but it sure was a lot of fun. All yeah. those years umpiring and refereeing uh, had, uh, had a great, great opportunities. I got to call five minor league baseball games in Memphis. Uh, that it was the old Memphis blues and the old Memphis chicks. Okay. Because the, uh, the regular, the regular umpires couldn't show up. And so they would call local substitutes who, you know, who, who they thought knew what they were doing and could do a good job. And um, I got those opportunities. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Wow. Uh, so there was a there's a pretty big field that's there in Memphis, and it was before AutoZone Park got there. I can never remember the name of it, but I remember I had a buddy who uh, hit their all-star games were played there. And it was... Tim McCarver State. Yeah, okay. That was... Tim McCarver State. Yeah. Yeah. In the fairgrounds. That, yes. That's, that's where I umpired those games. Oh, okay. Uh, those five games. I said, uh, yeah. That's where I umpired those games. Well, in the 60s, they were called the Memphis Blues. Mm-hmm. And they were part of the Texas League. And uh, the Texas League umpires would have to sometimes come from Texas and they couldn't get to Memphis overnight. So that's <laughs> when they would have to call somebody locally to come in and work their games. And that's why I got that opportunity every now and then. Oh, wow. So uh, one thing, and uh, this is just a funny on my part, your your favorite baseball team and my favorite team are actually rivals. So I know that you are a Cubs fan, and uh, I'm a Cardinals fan. So uh, you're one of the only Cubs fans that I think I would would bring on here. So. You know, it's it's kind of funny. You obviously know who Tim McCarver is, right? Yes. Okay. Well, Tim McCarver played um, uh, played a baseball game in. I put this on Facebook the other day when he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually played at a minor league uh, park in Memphis uh, when his the Cardinal farm team came in to play the Memphis Chicks. Uh-huh. And I couldn't wait to meet Mister. Wait to meet Tim McCarver, and he was so nice to myself and my friends. It just cool. what a clack. He could have told, "Get away, kid. Get away from me, kid. I got <laughs> things to do." Nope, not Tim McCarver. 
he was as nice as he could be. And he even said, well, it sure was nice meeting you boys. That's really and that, cool. that means an awful lot to a sixth grade kid who just absolutely just loved baseball. Yeah. I may not be a Cardinal fan, but I sure was a Tim McCarver fan. <laughs> <laughs> so when AutoZone Park opened, the very first game that they had there was the Memphis Redbird, Redbirds versus the St. Louis Cardinals. And it was when uh-huh. Mark McGuire was still technically on the team. Uh, he was starting to have his back issues and stuff like that, so he wasn't playing as much. But I remember I got to meet Mark McGuire at that game. So that was – that's always – Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's always been a cool memory for me. And years later, I realized something. I had a bunch of baseball cards, and it was before I actually took an appreciation to baseball. I'm pretty sure that I had a Mark McGuire card for when he played for the Oakland A's before he came to the Cardinals. And I'm pretty sure I messed Uh it up because I didn't know what I had. It was just a baseball card. (laughs) So, you know, hindsight and all that stuff. But yeah, thinking about that now, it kind of makes me a little queasy thinking that, you know, I could have had a Mark McGuire Oakland A's card before he actually came to the Cardinals, so it'd probably be worth something. You and I parallel in so many ways, because, you know, back in the 50s, I was I was buying Topps baseball cards. They cost a nickel, uh-huh. and they would have uh, bubble gum. They would have bubble gum inside of them. Yeah. Good bubble gum, too, by the way. <laughs> and I would, take, I would take some of those cards, and I would put them on my bicycle, so when I did in paper clip them, not paper clip, uh, close pin them to my bicycle yeah so it would make like a you know well, I yeah i can't even do it i can't I almost can't like a motorcycle noise so it would make one of those <laughs> i probably i probably used some really good players as as bicycle spokes you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> which is uh, embarrassing you know but uh that's what happened in hindsight is 2020 so i just you know, forget forget the fortune we might have thrown away right exactly <laughs> yeah so do you have yeah, any other, do you have any other hobbies that you like to do? Gosh. Um, oh, ping pong. Really? Um, with, when I, yeah, oh gosh. When I was um, growing up uh, in my parents' house, my dad um, was actually working for a, he was a, a bookkeeper uh, for a, a certain company that made like substances that were conducive to ping pong tables and I, I don't remember what it was exactly who they were but mm-hmm. he got a ping pong table for free oh cool and we put that ping pong table in our garage and my dad was really good at ping pong i mean he he was just uh he always told me he said george i'm not gonna let you beat me he said i'm <laughs> going to play you i'm going to play you with as much skill as i can mm-hmm. and then one of these days you'll beat me and it will mean a lot more to you when that happens. And that's right. exactly what happened. You know, finally, at the age of 17, I, I finally beat my dad, you know. But uh, that my friends would all come over and we would play ping pong until one o'clock in the morning. Uh, it, it was just, we started seven o'clock and we played ping pong until one o'clock in the morning. My goodness. And <laughs> let, me fast, let me fast forward now. And then uh, when, when I went to Dixie Band Camp, I don't know if you ever went to Dixie. No, I didn't. But when I went to Dixie Band Camp, they had a ping pong table there. Uh-huh. And um, there was a lot of really 
good band, a big band directors who played ping pong really well. There was a, a guy named Todd Johnson who was a monster at ping pong, you know, and the, the first uh, band director or fa- Dixie faculty uh, ping pong tournament they ever had. Todd Johnson was a favorite, but I won. I won that tournament. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jared, it was so much fun because what, what happened was my students, you know, we got so many students went to Dixie band camp mm-hmm. and they came into that final game and all of them brought homemade, not homemade, but they made little paddles it looked like, you know, the, the creative minds of middle schoolers. And they, they walked in and they made paddles and they all had Mr. G on them. They wrote Mr. G on them. <laughs> they held them up like fans, you know. Yeah. And, I, and I played that last game and I won that game. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I never was much of an athlete. Boy, I, should, I can really hold my own in ping pong. <laughs> and every Monday, Wednesday, every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, I go to the South Haven Senior Citizens Center, and there's about 14 of us, mm-hmm. and we play ping pong from 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock, and it is more fun. It's, I mean, I was there today, and I played – actually, today I played from 12 o'clock until 3 o'clock. Nobody oh. ran us out, so I played from <laughs> 12 to 3. And cool. it, it's just uh, – it's something that uh, – it's good exercise. And none of us care whether we win or not. We right. just play. Just we having just fun. Have fun. Yep. It's a, it, it, it's just uh, it brings a huge smile to my face every time I go play ping pong. So and grand, well, you said hobbies. My gosh, I got six grandkids. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that's quite a hobby, you know, to have uh, my, my wonderful grandkids. And uh, yeah. some of them are good athletes, and uh, uh, one of them is playing. Um, at Bethel University in McKenzie, Tennessee, he's oh. on a he's on a, a scholarship to uh, Bethel, and uh, I've got grandsons who play ball pretty well. Awesome! That it sounds like you're staying busy. You know it. Sometimes <laughs> it's uh, maybe I don't see any reason to slow down. No, it's it, it, it's so much fun, and and of course my wife and I are active in our church. We we love the church we attend. Mm-hmm. In, in Memphis, and uh, just you may you may know this. I had a, a brother-in-law just pass away. He passed away last Wednesday, and uh, my, my wife is uh, obviously she's very sad, and right. so am I because my brother-in-law was a good old boy. His name was Michael. Yes. He was only sixty-four years old, you know. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, the way I look at it, I'm I'm seventy-three now, and as long as God's Give me the strength to play ping pong and go out and walk the neighborhood for 45 minutes or an hour. I'm going to do it. I might, might as well go ahead. My dad lived to be 96 and my mom lived to be 89. And uh, I, I, I kind of like to follow in their footsteps, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I, I totally get that. Yeah. You got you to stay active. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, just, just because you're retired doesn't mean that you have to just sit there and do nothing. You know, uh, I'm actually looking forward to so with the job that I currently have um I will have my 28 years which is the full amount um I'll only be like 53 when that happens because I I started really yeah so I I started when I was young and then um also my kids 
I'll be 41 whenever they're off to college. So I'm still going to be young and I'm not going to just sit around the house and do nothing. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to enjoy spending time with my wife and doing things same as you're doing. You know, it's important that you take the time to still live life no matter what. Well, since you brought it up and I'll go ahead and, and for your listeners, you know, we've been talking an awful lot about music and things, but uh, uh-huh. if I, if I had done things correctly, when I say correctly, if I had socked away money the way I was supposed to, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had to teach until I was 64 years old. I've got band director friends right now who are retiring at 55, 56. And oh, wow. uh, that was, never, that was never in the cards. Never yeah. for me. Uh, it, God finally hit me in the face when I was 52. Sometimes you have to get hit in the face with a brick. And I don't know what it was, but it just hit me. George, you have no financial plan. Yeah. And, and it, it was amazing how the, 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 the transformation I made. And I, and I, you know, you don't really start thinking about that when you're 52. You start thinking about it when, when you're 22 or 32, but it took me 50 till when I was 52. And then it worked out where I was able to retire when I was 64 and my wife was able to retire when she was 62. And, uh, but we could have done it. Uh, I guess my warning, or I shouldn't say warning, but my advice to anybody listening, it's never too early to start that sort of planning so you can enjoy even more years. And, uh, Right. Uh, based on what you just got that you say and do yourself to me, like you're doing things right. And my hat's <laughs> off to you. That's, that's fantastic. What well, you just told me about the 28 years and such. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I started where, where I'm at. Uh, I was only, I was 26. I think I was whenever I started working where I'm at now. And, you know, I just, I've kind of stuck with it. It's a good job. They, uh, they're very, they're good people to work for. So, you know, I, I had no reason to, uh, to leave or anything. So I'm, I'm very happy where I'm at, you know? And, uh, so it's, it's made it kind of easy to make that decision to, you know, this is, this is where I'm going to be at. That's right. And, uh, as long as there's a plan and you stick with the plan, it's going to happen. Good things are are down the road and you're going to be able to play ping pong a lot longer than I did. So, <laughs> if you play big ball, you know, uh, or man, golf or whatever, it might be, so. <laughs> I, I, I do a podcast. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So do you have any uh, favorite memories uh, from all of your years of uh, teaching band? Um. Oh, yes, I do. But uh, I can't really, you know, it's hard to pin. We've already talked about so many of them. Uh, every right. year was pretty much the same thing. Right. Once you once you get once you get the beginners yeah. going and motivated and then you move them into the uh, seventh grade band, move them into the seventh grade band. It, it, it's four seasons. When I mm-hmm. say four seasons, we're talking about the season where we uh, uh, start off and I fundamental you kids to death when you were in the seventh grade. <laughs> fundamental you, you know, and and then when then it, it came time for the Christmas concert. Yeah. And at the same time, that's when the that's when um, uh, all region trials were. 
Right. And then there was concert right. festival. And then the last part of the season was solo ensemble and the spring concert. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing next year. It never really changed, you know. Yeah. And all of those memories uh, of all that difficult music. I, I tell you what, since your listeners might want to hear something in particular, I don't know why I happen to think about this one. But we went to, uh, I remember there was a, a time we went to um, Forest City and played concert festival. And I used to tell the kids, I said, there's nothing more discouraging than showing up a concert festival and there is an empty audience yeah. when we play or any band plays. Right. A, a, a band on stage, three judges, and about 10 people in the audience. I said, it's just, it's not good when there's mm-hmm. only 10 people listening to you after you work so hard to achieve a certain level. Right. And I used to tell my students every year, you've got to talk to your parents and you need to tell them that this is something super important, super special, and they need to be there. Yeah. And of course, I, I used to send information sheets home with you kids all the time, you know, uh, right. to try to keep the parents posted, you know. Well, we got to Far City, you know, Far City was 35 miles away. Uh-huh. We got to Far City and that auditorium was filled with Marion band parents. That's awesome. And I, I mean, yeah, the, the, the band played extremely well. I remember how they played. But every time we went to a concert festival, the the number of parents who showed up was just heartwarming. Yeah. And I had a, one of the judges, his name was Johnny, Johnny McBee. And Johnny McBee saw me a couple of years later. He says, George, I never have forgotten that we sat there and judged band after band after band. And then your kids started playing and the, and the auditorium was filled. He said, that blew me away that that many parents were there for a seventh grade band. Yeah. And um, that meant a lot to me. You know, the fact that the parents knew how important it was to their kids. Anytime they showed up or something like that, they were making an investment in their most important commodity, yes. their own child. Yep. Yeah. I love that. that. That's an awesome story. And it's very heartwarming. You know, it's, it's important. You know, I try. So now I have kids of my own. And I get to go uh-huh. starting next year. Well, this year, my, my daughter is uh, a grade above my son. So she has started in choir. And so I've gotten to go to a lot of choir concerts this year. And next year, my son is going to be playing baritone. And so I'm going to get to go to concerts. I'm going to get to go to band concerts. And I'm going to get to go to choir concerts. And I can't wait. I am over the moon excited to see my kids do this. So it is very important oh, yeah. that, you're, that you're there for your kids. You know, Jared, it's, it's, it's so strange. You just brought that up because from 19, I say, so I had a, my oldest was born in 1977 and then I had twins born in 1982. And, um, I, I wanted to coach softball so bad. I've already told you how much I love baseball and I wanted yeah. to, to coach their softball teams, especially the twin softball teams at the begin in the early nineties. And that's what happened. I coached them for seven straight years. Okay. We never traveled. We never traveled anywhere. Hmm. The reason we didn't travel is because our summers were spent on the softball diamond. 
we we used to you know the, the regular games at the girls clubs and then all of the the invitational tournaments our summers were spent on the softball diamond and it was a bonding tool to be right. able to to go out and watch my game for my wife to go watch the games and for me to to, to be able to coach my my kids and uh it, it just a wonderful experience and looking at the the, pic, the team pictures and all it, it just means even on facebook today right. I, I don't know what how it happened but my um one of the twins shared something on facebook about softball and her softball experiences mm-hmm. and it's kind of odd that i'm talking about that right now and that just ha- happened to pop up on her facebook memory so maybe i don't know how worthwhile that information was but it sure meant a lot to, to my wife and myself and my kids you know most definitely it's a memory that you guys can hold on to you know like like you're reliving it right now you know it's something that you can all cherish together and i'm i'm hoping you know that i'm going to that i'll get to be able to do that with my own kids you know oh i'm sure it's gonna happen i mean you just i love the name of your podcast oh thank you about, uh, yeah say it out loud so i don't mess it up say it one more time if you give a dad a podcast give a, give a dad a podcast i yep. love that that is absolutely because that's what that's what i'm doing you know uh, i i i feel very money is nice you know, right. it's always nice to have some money to travel and that sort of thing. But uh, we, you know this as well as I do, and so do your listeners. Uh, nothing can beat the joy of the bonding you have with your family. Nothing. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, an intang- it's an intangible that has no price tag. Right. And it's, it's, it's the greatest gift in the world. Yeah. Most definitely. They, uh, m- my kids drive me nuts from time to time. That happens, you know. But I love them, and it is uh, something that my mom has said to me many times before, and I believe this. You know, God placed me here on this earth, and one of the things he placed me here to be is a dad, and I definitely believe that. One of the things I hold the most dear is being a dad. Well, it's you you know exactly, but we're we're exactly on the same page. Yeah. It's it's, um, one of the best things in the world. As well as being a uh, husband to our yes. spouses, <laughs> yes. that's that's pretty important too. You know. Uh, so. Oh yeah, most definitely. So I have just a few more questions for you before I get you off of here. Um, sure. What would you say is one of the hardest pieces of music that you've ever had to play? Uh, are you talking about band performance, or are you talking about me playing my French horn uh, in a? in a professional setting i mean that just if you'll just pinpoint it i'm I'm sure i'll be able to come up with an answer on that how about we go with both okay all right well let's start off with the uh it when you're a professional musician and you're playing in playing an organization like the Memphis symphony and Memphis symphony wasn't the only um uh, only rush uh, as far as performance goes, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, I was called to play a uh, principal horn. I got a phone call and they said, we need a principal horn player because I never got to play principal. Every, I, I was always a section player, which was fine with me. Mm-hmm. Kind of like playing ping pong. I don't care if I win or lose as long as I, <laughs> As long as I got to get to play, that's the most important thing. So I was always a section horn player. Okay. 
But the Starkville, Mississippi Symphony, down there where Mississippi State is, they called me and said, we need a principal horn player for our concert on November 1st. And this was about six or seven years ago. And we need somebody playing principal, and we're playing Dvorak's New World Symphony. And Dvorak's New World Symphony has just unbelievable horn parts to it. I mean, just (laughs) great horn exposed literature in just tremendous parts. Yeah. And I thought, well, if I don't do this, if I don't do this, I'm not going to have the chance to do it again because I'm a section player. I'm not a principal horn player, Mm -hmm. but I played that new world symphony and uh, forgive me if it sounds self-serving, but I've never played so well in my life and playing well meant a lot to me. Yeah, But what really makes you feel good is, you, you know, the Dvorak composed that music about 120 years ago or right. whenever it was, 100, whenever he composed it. And I was getting the opportunity to take the notes off the page that Dvorak wrote mm-hmm. and play it the way I think he would have intended for it to be. Yeah, And that means so much to be able to play the music of the masters playing Beethoven, playing Stravinsky, Mm -hmm. playing the Borjak, just getting to play the music of the masters and play it with a certain degree of proficiency where it's listenable and enjoyable to the audience. So that was my, that that was absolutely the the greatest French horn experience I've ever had. And, uh, and it's, and I've had a lot of I've had a lot of opportunities to play lots of great music, but that one in particular. So um, anyway, and then there's the band, <laughs> then there's the world of band, and boy, that's a loaded one. Here. <laughs> Goodness gracious, how many? Uh, what? The, okay, I know what it was. Right. Um, there was one year. One year, the band was so good at Marion that that's that seventh grade band played two grade two pieces of literature in a hard march and all we had to do was play two grade ones our our level only called us to play two grade ones Mm -hmm. and we played something called last ride of the pony express by david schaefer and we played the fool out of that thing i mean we we flat took the notes off the page and uh, there was folks out in the audience like that's not a seventh grade band that, that <laughs> couldn't be a seventh grade band that's playing this you know yeah i, I would say that was what I, I would say that was one of the highlights of my life play, playing <laughs> that last ride on the Pony express so uh, i don't know why i thought of that one right now but it, it really did mean an awful lot to me it was a good band and uh and lots of parents showed up at concert festival too so <laughs> <laughs> So I have some younger listeners that listen as well to this. And uh, do you have any advice for those that are just starting out in band? Well, those that are just starting out with band, uh, number one, perseverance. Um, I, I mentioned something about it, about the French horn, about it being a difficult instrument, but it doesn't matter whatever instrument, whatever instrument you're playing, uh, you, you never settle for second best. You know, you talked about uh, your, your your high school band experience uh, earlier in this conversation, mm-hmm. and um, you even used the word, well, whatever happens, it was okay. You know, there's a commercial on TV right now that says just okay is not okay. 
Right. I I think it has to do with a um, a long distance, not a long distance phone service, but a um, um, a cell phone service. Yeah. Just okay is yeah. not okay. You know? And they're right. Just okay is not okay. Right. So my advice right. to each young band member is always persevere. Keep saying to yourself, just okay is not okay. Every time you put that instrument up to your mouth or, or, or hold the drumsticks or whatever you do, don't go through the motions. Mm-hmm. It's a God-given opportunity. Make every single time you play that instrument, make it more special than the previous time. Say, oh, that gets old. No, it doesn't get old. If you're enjoying what you're doing, do it automatically. You put it up to your mouth. You, you do everything you can. You absorb what your other fellow students are doing and learn from them. You absorb whatever the band director is saying to you and make sure that you are listening to he or she as they as they uh, spout, spew their knowledge so you can become better. And uh, it's so easy for me to say, don't quit. That's mm-hmm. totally up to, you know, Jared, those four-letter words, that four-letter word to me is the filthiest letter word, filthiest four-letter word in the English language, Q-U-I-T. Yeah. Band directors lived in fear of students quitting. Yeah, I'm not going to keep every one of us does. You know, we all act so macho. No, every <laughs> one of us. We lived in fear of it. But if the students can just realize that there are going to be some tough times and they keep persevering, they're going to they're going to end up being in a band program like that Marion High School band we've already talked about. Yep. And and they're going to have the opportunity, hopefully, especially the way college tuition is, to get themselves a college scholarship down the road. Yeah, and they it doesn't it doesn't matter whether it's the quarterback on the football team, or if it's a crooked player sitting in the middle of the second section. Lots of programs give the same amount of money to these these student athletes and these student musicians, and that's something to think about. This is my ticket to college. Or yes. it could be. Yeah. I you know, I kinda tell my uh my kids that even, you know, this this could be your way your way into uh college or something like that, you know. There it's it doesn't always have to be, you know, athletics or something like that. There are good ways to get into schools with music. Music is just as important. You know, it's um I did a did an honor band uh up in UT Martin. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Martin, Tennessee. I did it at the end of January. Mm-hmm. And I remember standing up in front of those students and talking about the fact that they all were music-making machines. Yes. And then I asked them, I asked them, I said, how many of you know who Peyton Manning is? And, you know, I'd say a lot of guys raise their hands, a few girls, did, right. you know, but, uh, and especially with him being on television, uh, it may be a little bit more exposure, but Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them knew who Peyton Manning was, and those who didn't, I told them who Peyton Manning was. Right. And I said, Peyton Manning was one of the finest football players that this country or this world has ever known. Mm-hmm. I said, but Peyton Manning's football days are over with. Unless he goes into the backyard and gets a bunch of his friends from the neighborhood, his football days are over with. Right. I said, everybody who plays a musical instrument, 
There is no reason why when you're 50 or 60 or 70 that you still can't be playing that musical instrument. There is no ending to it if you don't want it to be. Right. There are community bands. Yeah. There's community orchestras. There's there's opportunities to play at church. So um, mm-hmm. it, it, it can be a lifelong gift. It doesn't have to be just, just in high school and college. It can be a lifelong gift, and it, it really is a gift. It yeah. keeps on giving, you know? Yeah, I, it, it definitely does. So one last question that I have for you. Is there anything okay. that you want to say to all of your students that you've had? Thanks for putting up with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I had them all in front of me right now. Well, uh, you know, there is a certain... Uh, you always wonder whether you are achieving the, the the balance that it takes to keep a student's um, interest and uh, esprit de corps going. Mm-hmm. You, 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 I know there's been times when when I probably would have done something different that I, I thought, well, okay, this is the way I did it, but if I I could have handled it maybe maybe a different way. And uh, if if I had if I did it if I did it incorrectly, I would apologize for it. Say I, I perhaps I should have done this in a, you know in a different manner. But what really has made me feel great is Facebook. Yeah, because I'm friends with so many former students on Facebook, and we have so much interaction. Right. And, 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 uh, it, it's just, uh, it's a mutual admiration society. Mm-hmm. I've got these kids on Facebook, which I now know they aren't kids anymore. They're not <laughs> snotty nosed sixth graders. They are now adults. Right. And it's, but it's so much fun interacting with them about some of the wonderful things that we went through in the past. Mm-hmm. I had a student named April. April, I used to kid April to death when she was at, at East Junior High School. April, uh, I, her laugh used to remind me of Phyllis Diller. So I, I, always, I always kid April about, you know, sounding like Phyllis Diller. You know? <laughs> That's how she would laugh. She's absolutely beautiful, elegant. She grew up to be such, she lives in Atlanta. She looked like a Southern belle. But April passed away last year from COVID. Oh, no. It just, ripped my heart out yeah that somebody my wife and i were so close to april because my wife did my flags she yeah. was my flag girl yeah. when i was at east junior high mm-hmm. and uh, we were both so close to april you know and things like that it just it, it's just heartbreaking when somebody's that young and they're no longer with us anymore right. so what would i say to all my students love your families love God, take care of yourselves, and cherish your memories on your instrument. If you're still, I mean, let's face it, most of them aren't playing. Right. But if they still are playing, you, know, you keep keep going at it. Cherish the memories. I guess that's what I would say to them. I say, that's a great question you just asked. <laughs> loaded. It's a loaded question. <laughs> but, it's, but it's a great question. All right. Well, it has been great talking to you tonight. Uh, this has been something I've been looking forward to for quite a while. And uh, maybe maybe one day we can get you to come back on here again and we can talk some more about some music. 
Well, sure. I'd, I'd be happy to. It's been a pleasure. You know, I, like I said, I've been, but you said you were drinking a Diet Coke. I was having a Coke Zero. So once again, we parallel real. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> in, I was drinking a Coke Zero too. Now, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> best, best drink in the world. So. Oh, for sure. Well, I wish you the best of luck. I wish you the best of luck in these endeavors, Jerry. You know, uh, my, my students, uh, uh, can, can I tell your listeners about the about the rain and the uh, the highway that night? You know, oh yeah, night. yeah, for sure. So, so Jared, um, I guess he was probably about twenty one, twenty two, and I appreciate his admiration for me. He's he's expressed that before, and uh, he and I had had a conversation or two. He was in Northwest Arkansas, and of course I was in Memphis, and I went to an event at Christian Brothers High School. I don't remember what the event was, but I went to an event at Christian Brothers High School, and it was at night. It was about 8 o'clock, 8.30 at night, and I came out in the middle of one of the worst rainstorms I've ever been involved in, ever. Mm -hmm. And it scares me to drive at night, and to drive in the rain at night is even more frightening. Right. And I, I got out on Walnut as I was leaving Christian Brothers, I was turning out onto Walnut Grove and Jared called me and I picked up my cell phone and I said, Hey Jared. And I really didn't want to talk to him because I was scared to death that I was going to have an accident. I don't like to uh, talk and drive anyway, but especially at night and especially in the middle of a driving rainstorm. Yeah. So I had gone over the interstate. It was one of those overpasses over the interstate and I was telling Jared, I'm not so sure this is such a great idea right now, Jared, because I'm in the middle of a driving rainstorm. And folks, all of a sudden, I looked up ahead of me, and a car shot across the highway we were on. Now, the Walter Grove was like a five or six lane highway. If you count the turn lane in the middle, it was a five or six lane road, mm-hmm. not highway, but road. And the speed limit was 40 miles an hour, and somebody shot across from a residential section to the to the street on the other side. And it looked like a scene out of a movie. I've, I've never seen anything like it in my life. That car shot across that interstate, and I was probably about four car lengths away from when it crossed, and it was going like 50 miles an hour. And it almost hit the car in front of me. Mm -hmm. And and I told Jared, I said, I can't believe what I just saw. Jared, I got to get off the phone, Jared. (laughs) That's pretty much what I said. (laughs) I got to get off the phone. I was that shaken up. And I caught up with that car, and it had uh, a couple of girls in it. One of them was 21. The other was about 19, something like that. And they were as mortified as I was, more mortified. Yeah. They were the ones who were almost killed. Yeah. God was with some folks that night. And it Wonderful. was, uh, it was something. And it's so strange that that happened, but Jared and I were on the phone together. <laughs> 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 yeah. The, the coincidence, you know, so, yeah. uh, but anyway, uh, I uh, tried to be a good, it's not humorous, but on the other hand, uh, we were blessed, you know, that, that it happened the way it did. So, yeah, I, I remember I was very worried too, uh, waiting to hear back from you to make sure everything was okay. Cause that's the last thing I heard is I, 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 I've got to go. 
<laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. And uh, eventually you did call me back and tell me what happened and everything. But yeah, I, I definitely remember that happening. And it, it, it scared me too, because I was, I was worried, making, wanting to make sure that everything was okay. Well, as I said, it had a happy ending, but uh, it did. I got to share it with one of our, one of my friends, Jared. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I had a ball tonight. I appreciate you having me on. So. I, I've definitely enjoyed this a lot too, and I I can't wait to talk to you again. Sounds good, brother. If I can anything I can do for you, just let me know. Okay. All right. I hope you do pick up one of those instruments again. You know, that, that the conversation we had earlier, I'd like to see, you know, perhaps you might pick up that trumpet or whatever. There's a lot of, a lot of crossover between the horn and the trumpet. And there's no reason why you can't do exactly what uh, some of us are still doing. Play, play that <laughs> instrument. Well, actually that trumpet is sitting right in front of my desk that I'm at right now. Cause I had it down uh, in case my son wanted to play that for band. And uh, so, yeah, I've got it right here. <laughs> <laughs> buzz that mouthpiece and get busy <laughs> that's right the cool thing was is whenever my son was playing it uh i uh i, I taught him that little technique you know you're, when you haven't played your lips kind of get fat and stuff like that and so you have to kind of keep buzzing your lips and stuff to uh, work out the blood flow and everything in them and so he was uh, I, I was able yeah, to teach yeah, that to right. him, you know so just those little tricks that i remember so <laughs> Oh, you bet. Yeah, they carry over. You know, it, 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 they all start rushing back to you, you when, uh, when, when you have that opportunity. So, uh, yep. yeah, but, but I'm proud of you. You, you. you retained that particular piece of my hobby. All right, man. Well, it has, like I said, it has been wonderful talking to you, and I will talk to you next time, man. And best of luck, best of luck to you in all your endeavors, and God bless. Thank you. You too. It took me 10 years to make the perfect man cave. And then we took it over. And we made it into the multiversal chamber. Then I started my own podcast. And we took that over, too. And we're the co-hosts, the Multiverse Kids. Yeah, and I'm the dad, the geeky dad. And every week, we what? We review the movies, shows, and books. Games and toys. Yeah, and sometimes we even have a special guest. So, join us every week on the Geeky Dad Podcast. I'm Lisa and I'm Dawn and if you've ever watched a TV show and thought to yourself oh my god that season finale plot twist was absolutely bonkers or seen a movie and thought wow I need to talk to somebody about this train wreck immediately then we think you'll fit right in with our podcast I hate it let's watch it we watch TV shows like Riverdale and Emily in Paris and movies like Deep Water, Killer Sofa, Rubber and Deadly Illusions and we give them the total rinsing they deserve it's basically group therapy for movie masochists so come check us out wherever you stream podcasts All right, everybody, I hope that you enjoyed that episode with George Bikorski, or as we like to call him, Mr. G. That's what we called him back in school. So I really had a great time talking with him today, and I hope that you guys enjoyed hearing that. So this is actually my last episode before 
my anniversary episode that is coming up. And as I told you on Thursday of last week, I have a pretty big name when it comes to anime that is going to be on the show for my anniversary, and that is J. Michael Tatum. He plays Scar in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. He plays the voice of Tinya Ida in My Hero Academia, as well as the voice of Sebastian in Black Butler. And so I am very excited to have him on. And like I said, that is just the tip of the iceberg of some of the names that he has played. He's been in video games. He's been in all kinds of things. And we will talk to him about that whenever I have him on next week. So make sure that you come back and listen to that episode. I am very excited that I have made it a full year into this. Uh, From what I've read, most podcasts don't make it past five or six episodes. And uh, this episode that you're listening to right now is actually episode 50 for me. So I am very, very grateful for being able to have this show and do this show as long as I have. And I thank you for everyone who has stuck with me from the very beginning. And I thank you for all the new listeners that I have as well. I appreciate each and every one of you for turning in every week. And I hope that you come back and listen to some of these other great episodes that we have. And just stick with me. If you guys want to follow me online, you can do so by going to Facebook or Instagram, or Twitter, or Hive, or Snapchat, or TikTok, any of those places, and you can follow me on there. You can just type in, if you give a data podcast, and I'm sure I will pop up. Or if you don't want to do that, you can go to Google and type in, if you give a data podcast. Uh, On Facebook, if you want to find it directly, it is at I-Y-G-A-D-A-P, which is the acronym for if you give a data podcast, or as I like to say, IGADAP. You can also find me on Instagram, and that is at Give a Data Podcast. And then on Hive and Twitter, it is Dad Podcast One One. It is also iGadap for TikTok and Snapchat as well. So go and follow me on all those. That way, you can make sure and stay up to date with everything. Sometimes I post little fun things on different ones just to see, you know, what you guys have to say. Because I know there are some people that follow me on these different things, and they might not follow me on all of the platforms. So I try to give everybody a chance to interact as much as they want to. And I love to interact with you guys. It's one of my most favorite things. If you guys would rather send me an email, you can do so by sending it to giveadatapodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you guys if you have suggestions or somebody maybe you want me to bring on, or you have a question that you would like me to ask, or if you have a question for me, send it to me there. I Like I said, I love talking to you guys. I love interacting with you. So yeah, just send me a line on there and let me know. And as you're listening to this episode, if you could go out there, rate it and review it, tell me what you think of it. If you like this one, go out and give it a rating. If you're on Spotify or iTunes or any of the other places where this podcast is found, because I know it's found all over the place. Thank you to Podbean. They distribute it for me pretty much everywhere. And uh, so, yeah, just go out and rate it and review it and tell me what you think. If you like it, if you don't, let me know. I want to give a special shout out to my podcast network, and that is the OIW Podcast Network. They have all kinds of great podcasts on there that you can listen to. Whether you like listening to wrestling podcasts or if you like listening to video game podcasts or whatever else that you like to hear, you can find it there. I will have a link to them in my show notes as well as a link to the guy who created my ending theme song, D-Cure. If you like the way my ending theme song sounds, 
then go and follow him. Listen to his music. He has great stuff, always coming out with new, awesome music. So be sure and give him some love as well. Like I said, tune in next week. Uh, It's going to be my anniversary show. I'm very excited about the guests that I'm going to have on. I believe that um, it's going to be a fun one, and I think you guys are going to enjoy hearing it as well. I love you guys. I hope that you have a wonderful week, and I will see you next time. On. He calls us beautiful people, then tells us who we have on. The best part of my day, the world blocked out in my pods. Tell my friends all about it so that they follow along. And the host is kind of nerdy, but guess what? I am as well. I don't feel so alone, and I began walking out of my shell. Heard a story, I need a connection I haven't felt. I'll be looking for the next one, tell them farewell. It's the podcast for me. Have it on better go see. Download and tune in remotely. It's the podcast for me. Have it on better go see. And listen closely. Download and tune in remotely. This podcast is part of the OIW Podcasting Network.